Welcome, everyone, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the all-new, all-different X-Men number 105, the June 1977 issue titled Phoenix Unleashed. Man, and on the cover of this particular issue, which is still 30 cents, it promises that Phoenix will be alone against the most fearsome foe of all. The Flame, the Frenzy, and Fire Lord. Is that three different characters? (laughs) I was going to say, like, the Flame, the Crook, and the Baker together again. (laughs) So is this like an ex-lover of Jean's, uh, some frantic brother, and Fire Lord? It's true. <laughs> yep, it's uh, it's Fire Lord, everybody. Just what you all wanted in your X-Men comic. More Fire Lord. Everyone is unconscious on the cover, except for Phoenix, obviously. Uh, we see Cyclops' arm and Colossus and Nightcrawler and Storm and presumably Banshee and Wolverine are off-panel. Yeah, I'm sure they're underneath all of this wreckage, also unconscious. It's... It's not a bad cover. I like how Gene is portrayed. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of the better yeah. Cockrum covers. So let's let's just get right into it, Adam. What do you what do you say? All right, this one's uh Chris Claremont, Dave Cockrum, Bob Layton, Tom Wars, Andy Yakis. You got Yakis? I have Yankus. I have Yankis. And Archie Goodwin production. Did, did you say Bob Layton? I did. You rolled right through those names, son. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what what I mean, last time we saw the X-Men, they were heading off uh, leaving a a uh, triumphant Magneto because Cyclops had a hunch that the professor was in trouble and we cut to immediately them landing at a private airfield in Westchester, New York, which maybe it's the mansion or maybe it's some other private airport. We don't know. Well, then Nightcrawler says, it's Eric the Red here at our headquarters. So they're in their headquarters. Oh, okay. Presumably that's the mansion. Yeah, I don't. just the, the narration box there. A private airfield in Westchester, New York. Not like... I, know, I noticed that, yes. <laughs> not just like uh, a super high-tech un, uh, underground complex uh, that houses the, what's the school of Professor Xavier or something like that, you know. Something that you would normally see in, like, a modern comic book. No, it's just a private air ch- airfield in Westchester, New York, at their headquarters. Um, it's uh, very private. <laughs> Cyclops just shouts out, get him, X-Men! That's right, Eric the Red is in the house. And I, 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 this is a strange panel because I don't know how the X-Men got out of the Blackbird. There's no, like... <laughs> There's no openings anywhere. There's no doors, cockpits. Well, so spo- it's all closed up. Spoilers. Later on in X-Men lore, we'll learn that they come out of the bottom. Well, if you've seen the movies, I mean, it pretty much operates the same way. It, it opens up the bottom and then they walk out. In this one, uh, Cyclops is on the wing. Wolverine is like vaulting off of the wing as if he just jumped out of the cockpit, which is closed. 
and everybody else is just rushing from behind the wing. And look at look at Colossus's front leg. <laughs> the, the perspective here makes his his uh, the the joint between his hip and his knee look about eight feet long. It's not a very good drawing of Colossus's front leg. I'll, I'll definitely. I feel like Cockrum started with the leg, and he's like, "I'm gonna do this leg, awesome!" And then. <laughs> like he drew the leg and then he realized like, Ooh, it's a little too big for what I wanted to do here. So maybe I can put this arm in the way and kind of hide what I've done. Oh, that's what an eraser is for. <laughs> no, Cockrum don't erase. <laughs> it's like once it's on paper, it's done. I'm Cockrum. That's how I roll. Is that one of uh, Cockrum's staples? Oh yeah. You look it up. It's on the internet. It's uh, he's famous for this. Also, I want to point out that Eric the Red is no longer E-R-I-K as he was when he was initially introduced. He is now E-R-I-C. Oh man, that's going to screw up our tagging system. And as a matter of fact, Adam, I want to go back uh, to many issues ago when Eric the Red was actually Scott Summers and not whoever this is. I believe that the C change, the K changed to a C back there because you and I were were fidgeting about which way to spell his name. You're like, well, it's K, and I was like, no, I, I'm pretty sure I saw a C. But I mean, when he was originally introduced, it was definitely a K, and and now it's just mid mixed up. So they can't decide. It's the same thing with Moira McTaggart. I say we just leave the the original spelling, and uh, fans, uh, it'll it'll be true to the fans. That that works for me. We don't want no newbies searching for Eric with a C the red. That's ridiculous. That's crazy talk. <laughs> All right, so uh that's when Colossus says that it'll be a pleasure, Torvish. Colossus hits him and uh, Col- uh Cyclops blasts him. And meanwhile someone is watching. Wolverine goes in for the kill. And gets blasted. Well, Eric the Red is is not really doing anything here. He's just taking the brunt of all this punching and shooting and clawing. And I beg you, I I come in peace. He says. So he's where are Havoc and uh, Polaris? That's what I want to know. That's a good question. But the mysterious man whose face was all in fire is says, "I have seen enough. I am Galactus' former herald." And who he who has power is like unto that of the sun. Wow, that's really difficult to say. I am Fire Lord. <laughs> <laughs> he he speaks uh, difficultly, and uh, that's when Storm points out that Eric must have another ally, and that we're under attack. Well, duh. <laughs> that's what that's what uh, Wolverine says. No kidding, how'd you guess, lady? Yow! I think he says the yow more kitty-like. He probably says, yow! Because <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a wolverine. Part of, he's a, he, okay, anyway. Uh, and so that's when Fire, Fire Lord says, and I say, you will harm Eric the Red no more! What? And over the next two pages... Fire Lord makes quick work of these X-Men. I would not use the word quick, Adam. It takes two, because it takes two pages for all of this to happen. All right. That, that's pretty quick. <laughs> well, Some of these know. battles take entire issues. That's a good point, but I feel like everything that's happening here could have been summarized in like two or three panels, or maybe even just like a half-page spread, but... 
But yeah, there's... Do it up. Summarize it. Oh, Go. No, you just did it. I mean, he, he, oh. he handily takes care of him, and it only takes two pages. At which point he says, Eric, are you all right, my buddy? Eric says, I am. Did you have to treat the X-Men so harshly? What? This is a new tune for Eric the Red to be singing. I I thought he was hmm. against the X-Men. I thought he was an X-Men. I guess I guess we had him all wrong. Well, I see that there's a flashback panel uh, at the end of this page. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Such a pity Fire Lord does not know I'm lying, thinks Eric to himself, that the X-Men would not have killed me, though I would have slain them had I been given the chance. How ironic. I thought all was lost when my censors reported that Ma the X-Men had escaped Magneto. So when last we lost, uh, last we saw Eric the Red and Havoc and Polaris, they were standing outside uh, Jean Grey and Misty Knight's apartment. Oh, that's right. And we couldn't figure out if they were hovering, floating, or sitting on a, on a balcony somewhere. So apparently, between that time and this time, Eric the Red went back to his base, discovered that the X-Men had escaped Magneto, met up with Fire Lord, and then went to the X-Men's headquarters. Yeah, I don't know. There's also some Lorna and Havoc in here that may or may not have happened. Well, this is the flashback. The flashback is that Fire Lord, see, er, uh, Fire Lord is flying by conveniently, and Eric sees them sees him and decides, well, I want that guy. <laughs> forget forget my Havoc and Polaris action figures. That guy's <laughs> super cool. Yes. So he uses his mind-controlled Havoc and Polaris to make it look like oh. uh, that they just ambushed him, essentially. Okay, I got, I got confused when I read this because all of a sudden it's like, uh, Lorna, shoot him. It's an, it's only another alien. Polaris, cut him down, just like we did Eric the Red. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. What did I miss here? But if I go, <laughs> you missed this panel. What cared I if I am if my improvised scenario demanded the sacrifice of my two mind thralled pawns? And that's what I didn't understand. I was like, mind thralled pawns. What is is that? What he had for lunch? Like I don't understand what that means. <laughs> You've never had mind-thralled pawns? They're delicious. I have had mind-thralled prawns before, but no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so, okay. I was a little confused as to how all of this went down, but but now it's all clear. So, okay, so uh, Eric the Red is mind-controlled. So he's basically setting up a scenario of, like, look at these X-Men. They're crazy, and I don't know what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Creating a little sob story. Fire Lord Gress comes in and defeats... Havoc and Polaris handily, and uh, that's when Eric starts leading, leading uh, giving up, giving in, giving into his uh, little sob story. I am an explorer like yourself, Fire Lord. These X Men seek to rule the world. I got in their way. I, I tried to stop them. You see, <laughs> but they, but they wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me pass. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently. Fireler doesn't believe him at first, so he takes uh, Eric the Red takes Firelord to the headquarters for more evidence. Well, at which point, uh, Eric realizes that if he's at the X Men's headquarters, they will attack. Right, and that's all part of his plan, which is exactly what happened. 
Oh, 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 that's another point where I got confused. Like, I realized they came out of the flashback and then went into real time, but I couldn't, f- I, I eh. wasn't paying very close attention. I couldn't tell if this real time was like before we got to the mansion or if it was right after the mansion. But okay, so it's after well, the whole. You see, <laughs> the last panel is a square. Whereas all the flashback panels are squigglies. Yeah, I said that. I said that I realized <laughs> we came out of the flashback, but I just wasn't sure where we came out of the flashback. But clearly, it's right after we left off on a couple of pages ago. And uh, so apparently through all of this backstory and fighting, Fire Lord has learned the name of the X-Men's leader and that if we don't take that person, uh, the X-Men will still live and his name is Charles Xavier. So, well, presumably, you know, they've been they've been chatting. Mm. Eric the Reds. Oh, and the worst one of all, Charles Xavier. Oh man, <laughs> he sucks. He he's a bully. He's the one who demands the whole world. <laughs> Meanwhile, we shift over to space where uh we're we're doing some Star Trek ships log imperial date 2131.6. This is actually, uh, Chris Claremont borrows heavily from Star Trek from this point on. <laughs> this is actually Captain Kirk speaking. K- <laughs> K-R-K. K apostrophe R-K. K-R-K. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, he's entering his log that they've uh, followed Princess Lilandra near Amani across the face of the known and unknown universe. Well, it's known now. <laughs> How can it be unknown if you know about it? Those words don't make any sense. I hope the admiral of whatever Starfleet he comes from like really disciplines for that language. <laughs> what is this crap about unknown space? <laughs> Clearly you know about it. Your coordinates are right here. Uh, and now when she is in sight of her goal, we have caught her. Oh, it's so ironic. <laughs> Her scout ship has been pushed beyond endurance, yet still she eludes our photon torpedoes, which isn't surprising for until she led the Great Rebellion. Star Wars. Uh, well, <laughs> it's not Star Wars because it, it can't be yet. Lelandra was Grand Admiral of the Imperial Fleet. I said it last week. I'm pretty sure Chris Claremont got an advanced copy of the script and he's just mixing Star Trek and Star Wars together. Well, you know, there's that question of like, because at some point, the dates, the public, the dates of publication, do not become the actual dates when comics are released. That's a good point. So maybe this is. I mean, there's a letter page. There's a letters page in this issue that seems to imply that it's around Christmas. Oh. Okay. Which would, which would, you know, make me believe that in fact it's after Star Wars. That it's after Star Wars, but maybe the publication date just refers to when the issue is finished and and then it comes out several months later or something. I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea how comics work. I don't know either. I get confused because when they go bi-weekly, sometimes they either say like early summer or early June, late June, and other times it'll just be like June, July, August, September. And you're like, good Lord. Like this issue says October inside the cover, but it's May and I'm reading it. Yeah. Or vice If anybody versa. has any idea about why this whole uh, monthly snafu happened, let us know. I'm sure it's quite interesting. 
It was the great printing press disaster of 1972 that backed everything up and created <laughs> the whole problem. All right. Well, anyways, there's a captain. Uh, it turns out that uh, this was Lilandra's proudest captain uh, before the Grand Rebellion. And uh, the emperor, uh, her brother, Lilandra's brother, sent his ship to destroy her. And that's when he asks for a status report from his science officer. Who says? Who uh, she checks out uh, planet Earth? It's a class M world, um, you know, level four point seven on the Varakis scale. Obviously, we mm-hmm. all know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Prime Directive. Uh, kind of worried about that uh, because the lander's about to hit Earth, and I'm, I'm not sure what their Prime Directive is, but they probably shouldn't follow. I'm gathering. <laughs> I'm. I'm thinking. At which point the captain says. Does not apply in this case, Mr. Slar. Maintain, or Slar. <laughs> Maintain firing range. I would imagine. <laughs> I would imagine that their prime directive is probably the same prime directive that exists in Star Trek. Well, right, which is do not interfere with um, civilizations that are developing. Yeah, don't don't interfere with their progress. Unless they've developed warp technology, then by all means, give them everything they want. But this guy's jumping the gun then because they haven't scanned the planet yet. Continuing computer scan, says the science officer. Uh, there's a bunch of Kree, some scrolls, some Badoons, even some Celestials on the planet. Eh, nothing to worry about. Oh, wait a minute. What's this? Captain! This planet has faced Galactus four times in its immediate planetary history and beaten him back. What? <laughs> Hard That's a classic what, too. It's W-H-A-A-A-T question mark, exclamation mark, question mark. Hard about course 181, Mark 7, maximum sublight acceleration, full power to the defensive screens. Science officer, I want a scale one sensor scan of that planet. All other stations, man, maintain battle alert. He's <laughs> freaked, man. One, no one kidding. Apparently he has uh, bad uh, encounters with Galactus or something. If this primitive world has indeed fought off Galactus, gods below, their power may rival that of the Empire itself. You uh, might even think that it would be, judging by this reaction, more than the Empire itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, meanwhile, uh, the I think I think this is Lilandra's ship. There's before they take off, oh. they fire a few photon torpedoes. So for some reason, I think they've been trying to get Lilandra this whole time. And while they're t- uh, uh, tucking tail and running away from the planet, they fire off a quick succession of shots, which actually hits its mark and blows up the ship. Right. Not before Lilander's able to beam down to the planet's surface, but still, if they were that accurate as they're running away, why didn't they just blast her out of the earth or blast her out of the air sooner? Well, they needed to be crazy they needed to do some crazy wild shots as they're spinning around not even aiming it's the only way to hit them gotcha all right i I don't know it's not doesn't it's silly well meanwhile back down on terra firma in an apartment located in new york's greenwich village i believe this is the first in continuity uh location or mention of gene gray and misty knight's apartment indeed 
And uh, adjoining Misty Knight and Jean Grey and the professor is Jean Grey's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Grey. I think it's John and I can't remember what Jean's mother's name is. Jean's mother, Grey. <laughs> Aha. And uh, they're wondering about, like, how how did you find this lovely flat, Jean? And that's when Misty chimes in and says that they were both interested in the place, but neither one of them could afford it because Jean doesn't have a job. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. (laughs) She never finished college. (laughs) And over coffee, they discovered that they liked each other. So they decided, (laughs) what the hey, we try being roommates. It's working out pretty well. Misty Knight is uh, dating... Iron Fist at this point? Yeah. Uh, well, do, we don't know that, though, do we? Or do we just know that from continuity? Well, if we're reading Iron Fist, we do. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Which I uh, guess Chris Claremont is also writing. So that's no doubt why Misty Knight has a small part in this comic book. That's it's very interesting. Um, I think in this very issue, there's a letter about the X-Men teaming up with Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. So, hmm. anyways, lots of Iron Fist going on, because I think he'll make an appearance elsewhere in our episode. Yes, he, he may very well. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, while Gene is getting ready to serve the crumpets and tea, uh, there's a zack sound from the corner of the apartment. Which... Misty describes as looking like that Star Trek transporter effect. And I guess it is someone beaming down into their living room. And that's just disappointing. It looks like that Star Trek transporter effect. Come on, Chris Claremont. Well, it's like they're in the movie business and like, oh, it's like that Star Trek effect on TV. Like it would have been just fine to be like, oh, my God, it looks like Star Trek. Like that would have worked. It's I don't know. It's just like. Or do you think this, this makes me wonder? Like, oh, so the the people who made the Star Trek actually got it right? That's amazing. Uh oh. <laughs> okay. No. Well, then it, maybe it should have been like, oh man, that looks nothing like Star Trek. Yeah, I don't know. It just. I, how about we just don't reference Star Trek? I. What's going on? Someone's t- transporting into the room. <laughs> I'm inclined to agree, especially when they're ripping off Star Trek so heavily here that you maybe shouldn't reference the source material. But anyways, the professor is not happy about this at all. He screams, no, it's impossible, yet it's happening. And this time... Is he like all orange in yours with the little beady red eyes? He's got little beady red eyes and he's like a yellowy orange color. Okay. Yeah. And this time, everyone can see it. I'm coming face to face with the figure from my nightmares. It's true. And Bughead finally takes off her helmet. And uh, I don't know how she gets all her hair in there. <clears throat> but do you know what she says? springs out with a poof. She says, beep, 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 beep. That's what I imagine her language is. Roughly translated as... I'm your new neighbor. May I borrow some sugar? <laughs> um, so I think, didn't the person in uh, an issue or two ago who was talking to the Eric the Red have similar hair? And then, actually, before we even say that, is this hair or is this just like a headpiece? 
I don't know. Uh, the uh, the captain from the previous page and some of the other members of the crew also had this similar hairstyle slash helmet. Do you remember uh, Babylon do, 5? Do we ever find out? <laughs> I have no idea, but do you remember Babylon 5? Uh, I've never seen it. I remember the show, but I've never seen it. Oh, In Babylon 5, there were these alien creatures that had really stupid hair that was not like this, but like like somebody put gelatin in their hair and stuck it straight up and like that's what their alienness was. Well, I would say that probably doesn't work, but this works. I mean, <laughs> this is like a this is I I don't know if Dave Cockrum designed these or or what, but this is a neat little alien race. I it, like it. It's definitely neat. It's uh stylistically it's fine, but it does beg the question like is that a headpiece? Is that hair? <laughs> How does it maintain its form? Right, this only exists in comics medium. In real life, this just does not work. Right, you you try to do this in a movie and it would never work. So anyways, uh, as she's beep, 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 she falls over. She does, and uh, the professor screams, Lelandra! How does he know? That's a good question. He does, though. Jean, quickly, you must help her. Way ahead of you, Professor. Give me a hand with her suit, Misty. And they take off all her clothes. It's, it's hot. She's got like those little fin things on her uh, forearms, too. Yeah, she's kind of uh, she's, she's a little furry or something. I don't know what that is. She's beautiful, but who is she, Professor? You seem to know her. We've never met before, and yet the cow. I mean, the cow! Oh, her, uh, Ms. Gray's name is Elaine, Elaine Gray, as John, oh, yes. as John Gray calls out, look out the wall, get down, darling. And that the cow that I mentioned before was an explosion as Fire Lord enters the room. Hear me, humans, I am Fire Lord. I have come for Princess Lelandra and the man called Charles Xavier. Resist me at your peril. At this point, I am totally... And utterly trusting Eric the Red. <laughs> I'm all in. Misty Knight draws her gun. Well, I don't know. We don't know why, but she draws her gun. And she says, Buster, if you think... Can... That's when Jean takes over. Get my folks to safety, Misty. I'll handle this. As for you, Fire Lord, you just made the biggest mistake of your life. Because I am Phoenix. She doesn't say oh, it. Oh, and I want you to get out of my house. <laughs> she doesn't say it like that. Look, Phoenix is on like this fiery font. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> because I am Phoenix. Eh, it's better. I would have held the Phoenix a lot longer, but, but yours was good. Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, she she punches Fire Lord out of the out of the house uh, or the flat, I should say, and uh, Fire Lord's all like, "Oh my gosh, that's a lot of power! Not since I fought Thor have I have I seen such." And Jean's all, Jean Grey is now as powerful as Thor. Nice, and Thor's pretty pretty strong, as I understand. Yeah. What do you want from Charles? He's done nothing to you. She can't believe she's flying and there's power surging through her body that she never dreams existed. And uh, Fire Lord says, you lie. He seeks to rule the world. My friend Eric told me and, and I trust this guy with my life. 
He gave me some baseball cards, and they're super awesome. <laughs> He'd never lie to me. Why do you hate us? And they fight. And there's bouncing and <coughs> stuff. <laughs> oh, too many voices. Uh, and she ends up hurling a Fire Lord into a, a crowded environ of Washington Square Park, where a man refers to another man as Dave and says, Anyway, Dave, he hits the ground with this incredible sound effect. And then Fire Lord hits the ground with an incredible sound effect. Foom it is, in fact. And interestingly enough, if you turn the page in the original scan, the very next page contains an advertisement for Foom, Friends of Mighty Marvel or whatever that thing was. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, here it's... it's uh... We should point out that one of these guys is drawing. Foom, the fan magazine for the Friends of Old Marvel. So it's kind of like a little advertisement built in. Yes, one of them is drawing. Uh, that's the man that the other man's referring to as Dave. Dave turns around and says, or actually, uh, and Dave, aren't you listening? And, and that's when Dave gets up and says, Chris, do us all a favor. Shut up and run. So I have a question. Obviously, they're referring to Dave Cockrum and Chris Claremont, but... Uh, really? What? <laughs> believe it or not, unless it's just an incredible coincidence. But um, um, I'm going to jump forward a little bit, if you don't mind. Uh, and we're going to take a little bit of an interlude. Do you mind, Adam? Uh, there better be some sexy interlude, interlude music when you, when you edit this. <laughs> I don't know if I can make that happen. But have you uh, ever listened to Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman? I have not. Okay. Well, mostly it's about Batman, so it's kind of irrelevant to this podcast. But recently, I think within the last 10 or so uh, issues, he uh, had Jim Lee on his show, because I guess Jim Lee works for DC and did a Batman stint, or maybe he is doing Batman, I'm not sure. But it's very interesting. He talks about uh, working on the X-Men, working with Chris Claremont, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so, number one, I recommend that you check it out, because I know you're a bigger Jim Lee fan than I am. Wait a minute. Are we gonna get like some uh, some some playback on this show that you're talking about? Is have you signed a deal with Kevin Smith? Is are is this in negotiations? Uh, no. But one could always hope. I, I am getting to oh, a man. I am getting to a point though. Our legion of fans had better let Kevin Smith know. Somebody somewhere knows Kevin Smith. Yes. And I want our legion of fans to make sure that he knows that we are pimping him on our show. Yeah. So that he pimps us, because if he pimps us, that would be really useful. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that his shows need any pimping from us, but but I am getting to a point, and that is uh, that even in the early 90s, uh, Jim Lee and Chris Claremont's collaboration was that of the Marvel method, where uh, Jim Lee would draw based, based on the plot outlines, and then Chris would come along and fill out the words. So... It's a long-winded way of me wondering if uh, Dave Cockrum drew all of this, and Chris Godney's like, "Hey, Dave, this is you and me. Now I got to put some words in here. What the hell?" Or <laughs> was it vice versa? In the plot summary, was Chris like, "And then you and I show up, and you should you should draw us." I'm sure it was some sort of a collaboration. I don't know. <laughs> do you know that I met Kevin Smith? I do. There's a picture of you and him on Facebook. I know, it's crazy. And that is awesome. <laughs> I wish I had my picture with him. You have a picture with him? No, I don't. 
Oh, I, I thought I thought you said you had one. Like I have, I have, I wish I like you lost it. I wish I had my picture with Kevin Smith. No, I would look at it all day. <laughs> I wish, yeah. I, well, yes, I I would totally look. At, I would scan it. It would be my, the wallpaper of my computer. Every day at work, when somebody walked by, I'd be like, "Hey, hey, hey, come over here, come over here, see him." I met him. Did you? And they'd be like, "Yeah, he's very accessible." And I'd be like, "All right, fine." <laughs> I can almost guarantee he would not remember me. I obviously. Any <laughs> anyhow, back to the comic book at hand, and it, it works perfectly because right in the dialogue here it says, "Cut to a shed, a shaded alleyway near Gene's building." And those two are flying around each other. They're forming little heart shapes in the sky. Oh, it's love. Eric looks up and says, The Phoenix is more trouble than I anticipated. Her power rivals Firelord. 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 <laughs> Firelords. But while she fights Firelord, Xavier is defenseless. This is my last chance to stop the princess. I dare not fail. Meanwhile, Phoenix and Firelord continue fighting on and, and, uh, Basically talking about how each other is more powerful than the other. I was Galactus's herald, and mine is the power cosmic. Nothing that lives can stand against my star bolts, and death is the penalty for those who try. Now, this is like a Dave Cockrum draws here just basically a silhouette of Marvel Girl. Does your version try to color in the whole thing like Phoenix? No, it's just like a yellow silhouette with like red hair silhouette. That would make more sense to me, but my <laughs> version like actually tries to fill in the correct coloring and it looks kind of silly. It would have to because there's no lines here to work with. Right. Mm. They're they're just colored in lines, so it kind of looks like an like a, one of those incredibles. Oh, like a cell shading thing. Yeah. Mm. It looks like the wife uh, Mrs. Incredible. So we flip over to the apartment where Elaine is like, John, is is that our daughter? He has no response. He doesn't care. <laughs> He's that... like, give me some booze. <laughs> and Lilandra is now speaking in English. She is still speaking, though, in her tongue. Egg, Xavier, have sought you. I so long, desperate, need gods. At which point the professor says, Calm down, Lilandra. The babblefish takes a little while to, to work its magic. <laughs> yes, it takes a, a few minutes to bore into your eardrum and, and, and transduce the sounds into intelligible waveforms. Now, he's, uh, he's using t um, even a telepathic language course takes some time. So he is. I'm sorry, but that makes no sense. He does not. Like, he can, probably, he can teach her English, yes. But how is he going to teach her to understand what words mean? Right. How do you teach her what yellow is? Like you, like can he doesn't know what her language is. He, he only knows his language. He doesn't know the wherever she is uh, equivalent of the word yellow. So there'd be no context. She could speak English words, but but that's Unless it. Unless he like psychically goes into her brain and understands things the way that she understands them. I guess that's possible, but that seems like yeah. I don't know. I think it seems like it would it would take a while. If I were to like really put some sciencey stuff behind this, I would say that he could probably uh, go in through into her, her mind and probably understand her at more of a base level, like hungry, tired, angry, happy, but not like 
mm, boy, Murder, She Wrote is a fine show. <laughs> <laughs> like that concept, he would not be able to decipher, in my opinion. Although uh, Murder, She Wrote's not on here. So let's go with Newhart. Newhart's a great show. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, Cyclops and uh, Nightcrawler and Wolverine and probably Banshee, they show up. Oh, you just you just jumped an entire page. Well, I, I got done with that page. Was there something else that we need to talk about? Yeah, Eric the Red shows up and blasts them all. Well, fine. I guess he does. And then he, he well, Misty tries to stop him with a gun, but he, he blasts everybody with one blow, all five of them. And then he takes uh, Professor Xavier and Lelandra up to the roof, where 10 minutes later he builds a Stargate. I suppose. Some of that's important. And you, you also forgot that... He is not Eric the Red. He is Shikari. Right. Shikari. Shikari Warriors was one of my favorite games. Oh, man. Uh, they really jumped the shark on Shikari Warriors 3, though. Victory Road. Or was really? That, it was a bad one? Or was, or was that 2? I don't remember. No. Uh, was, that, was that one of the levels you had to jump a shark? <laughs> yes. <laughs> on your motorcycle. <laughs> it's uh, I, Princess Shikari, who you exiled to earth and that's when he blasts her and you're right i shouldn't have skipped over this because it's very impressive because at first they said the stun blast takes care of everybody and a fast 10 minutes work to construct the stargate and i was like wait did the professor build a stargate (laughs) but but no the professor was zapped but it was so quick that like i missed it Eric the Red, or Shikari, I guess. Lilandra recognizes him as Shikari. So how does she recognize him? Maybe it's his voice or something. Yeah, good Or be. his posture. But he's wearing like an Eric the Red outfit. I, I Maybe hope. it's his chin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's the pronounced chin of Shikari. What are you doing here? I exiled you to this planet. Wait a minute. Who you exiled to Earth? I thought that everybody was just discovering Earth for the first time. Well, apparently... There's scrolls here, there's Kree, there's Badoon, there's Celestials. But her former captain was like, this primitive planet, blah, blah, blah. Like, uncharted, unknown, and everything was words that were used earlier, and now it's like, oh, I was exiled to this planet. Well, exiled without communication, maybe. Oh, so maybe Lilandra was the only one that knew about this Earth place. Maybe he was exiled to a planet, but she didn't really know what it was. Oh. It was kind of chosen at random. He was launched in a torpedo. All right. Oh. <laughs> and then he landed on the planet and developed superpowers. And So the concept of a Stargate, I'm wondering if that goes back to like, like it's more just early science fiction that Chris Claremont is ripping off. Oh, yeah. I got to imagine, I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I, the concept of Stargate is probably as, probably as old as science fiction is, right? Well, that got me to thinking. Maybe the, start, the concept of, like, uh, imperial cruisers and other things of that nature that are, 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 maybe George Lucas ripped off all that stuff, too. Oh. And they just have the same, like, database of early science fiction. So it wasn't either of them ripping each other off. They were both ripping somebody else off. No, I mean, I think if you read up on Star Wars and, and George Lucas and the concepts that are in those movies, you see that it's it's a myriad of rip-offs. Right? Oh, did you ever see um, Everything is a Remix? No. Google Everything is a Remix. It's a four-part 
uh, series in this is to the fans too. Um, that is is really cool. It just talks about how things are remixed. Uh, the first uh, the first one they're they're both they're all like ten minutes long, so it's like a, t- a total of forty minutes. But the first one is uh, music, and the second one is movies, and they just uh, it's really impressive how they take Star Wars apart. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty it's highly entertaining. Highly recommended. Everything is a remix. Adam, are we a remix? We're we're a new form of remix. We're like the we're like the modern we're meta remix. Oh. I like that. I want a shirt that says Danger Room Meta Remix. I do too. Okay. Holden, <laughs> well, get on that. <laughs> yes, pal, make us some shirts. Uh so a ship arrives and I I'm having a difficult time recalling if this is the sentinel ship a new ship oh, yeah that's a great question <laughs> a, a fantastic car i'm not sure what it is but it's it's got it's like got two spheres oh it looks like a dog bone but it's flat doesn't have wings and they they sit in the front part that's the cockpit of this thing where did where mm. do they where do they get this thing from i don't think it's the sentinel thing because i think the sentinel thing had a back seat for captured mutants and this one does not yeah, this is an entirely new ship. Well, unless they stole it from the Pharaoh. Apparently, Banshee calls it the Hover Jet. It actually looks like the ship from the Pharaoh episode or issue. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, yeah, and even the angle in which they're flying in it, because I remember Neil Adams. You know, he had it kind of at that that, that tilted angle, and they were flying towards the pyramid, getting ready to drop the Pharaoh off at the authorities. Maybe it's that ship. Well, it I, think, do- I think they stole it. It doesn't matter because Eric the Red blows it up. Right. Who, who they reveal his full name is uh, Devan Shikari of Imperial Intelligence. Yes. And then we get that in a caption box. And he's Agent Devan Shikari of Imperial Intelligence. He thinks he's home free, but then that's when the X-Men show up and then he blows up their ship. And... Uh, Banshee and Storm immediately use their powers and fly off, which is amazing. They've never done that before. (laughs) What's the matter, leader man? This is more than you can handle. Get off my back, Wolverine! The controls controls are fused. It's not my fault. The turbo fan. The turbo fan. (laughs) There you go. Is he the Han Solo of the group? (laughs) Colossus is in the back going... Yeah, that was my Wookiee, as bad as it was. I do Wookiee as well as I do Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) The turbo fans are running around, shattering the engines. Bail out, all of you. We've only got seconds before this grate. Oh, no, not again. Boom. That's a pretty lame sound effect. (laughs) Well, we went from foom to boom. And meanwhile, as the X-Men fall... Uh, Farlor looks naked in this panel. He does. Uh, Marvel Girl, it, we I think we get our first de- dose of the Phoenix effect because there's a giant flaming bird surrounding her as she blasts um, Fire Lord. I thought there was one earlier, but I guess you're right. This is the first one. I, th- I, think, okay. I think there's been cool. flames, but I think this is the first bird. Yeah, I think I think you're right. So there you go, folks. And uh, he goes flying 12 miles just uh, west across the Hudson to the Jersey Meadowlands. 
And uh, Jean, Jean's gone a little nutso. Or the, her, her face looks a little contorted here, and she's like, Now to finish him off! What? Oh, it's Professor X contacting me telepathically. Jean, listen, Fire Lord isn't important. Stakes are far higher than any of us expected. Come quickly. I'll fill you in on what I've learned from Lelandra. Understood, Professor. I'm on my way. So she still looks a little crazy and and wide. She looks like a pear. I mean, if you look at the perspective here, her midsection should be a lot thinner than her torso, but it's wider. So if you were to, like, tilt this towards us, she would look like a very fat lady. <laughs> but that's not important. Uh, she she's still She is thinking to herself that who is she becoming? She really wanted to kill Fire Lord. And this this power is like a drug or an ecstasy. Well, no, she's never felt such ecstasy. I don't know if the drug ecstasy was around at that point. Well, okay, yes. True, <laughs> true enough. Good heaven, what have I become? The X-Men are all flying back towards the rooftop and Nightcrawler has separated from everybody. And he, he does, there's a wasted panel where he flips around. It's kind of an unnecessary panel. Well, Wolverine's like, oh, the lady, the goblin's probably bamfed himself over to the rooftops. Like, should he really refer to the sound effect by vocalizing it? Well, you know, maybe that's what it sounds like. Like, it literally <laughs> sounds like bamf. I suppose. Yeah, Why bamf. not? Uh, hey, that sounds like bamf. I'm going to start saying that from now on. I'm going to use it as a, I'm going to use it as a verb. Bamfed. Whatever you want to do, Wolverine, I don't care. Well, apparently he has not bamfed himself to the rooftop. He's doing some cartwheels and stuff because he was moving so fast that he couldn't get a good look at where he was going. So he wouldn't know where he would be able to uh, port to. Right. This just seems like a big waste of dialogue. I don't mind these two panels, like, but why not just, instead of all of this unnecessary dialogue, you just have uh, Storm says, or, you know, everything's the same, except instead of what Wolverine says, he says, he's over there. <laughs> and then Nightcrawler doesn't say anything. He's just flying around. Yeah, yeah. Or like, oh, good thing I found this pole. Uh, I, otherwise, I was a goner. Well, even that he doesn't need. He could just be swinging around. Uh, anyways, uh, so he, he heads off. He's about to get uh, Eric and Lilandra, who are about to step into the Stargate. But right before he can get to them, they jump through the Stargate, and the Stargate closes, and he lands on the other side of the Stargate, a la Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the movie. Thud. Thud. Interestingly enough, the sound effect that the closing portal makes is FMAB, which is BAMF backwards. That's very clever. Um, look at how, like, Eric the Red doesn't just walk into the Stargate. He, like, dives in. And that's that's no easy feat, because he's standing, like, inches away from, like, the fuzzy beam that would be the Stargate. And in the next panel, he's perfectly horizontal. Well, I don't think he's, I think, I think it's just one leg. So his other leg, I'm imagining. Oh. So, yeah, it does look like there it's two legs, but I think it's just one leg. But still, it's like, why does he need to lift his leg all the way up like that? We just Ta-ta, a... X-Men! <laughs> and so uh, Nightcrawler's complaining about his aching back. Would somebody tell me what's happening, period? Because they don't really, nobody really knows what go, what's going on. And the professor's kind of losing it as well. He's, 
curse you, Eric. It can't end like that. It mustn't. And he's got crazy face on. <laughs> uh, Storm says, gods of the earth and air. Is that Phoenix? Has she announced that her name is Phoenix to the rest of the X-Men yet? Well, I mean, in X-Men 101, she flies out of the water and says, now and forever, I am Phoenix! Oh, okay. So I guess they've just like, everyone was like, oh, she must mean that's her new code name. Well, I mean, if like Wolverine was to jump out of something and be like, no, now and forever, I am Kitty Man. <laughs> that's just how you announce, no. <laughs> that's just how you announce yourself in the Marvel Universe. All right, fair enough. It's not like, you know what? I got really sick of Marvel Girl because I'm not a girl anymore. I'm a woman. <laughs> Call me the Phoenix. Jean's parents flip out. Xavier, who are these costume people? What's the meaning? Jean, dear. Mom, Dad, there's no time to explain. <laughs> and that's when the professor completely flips out and acts like a total dick. Are you blind, Jean? You've plenty of time now because Earth's taking the ladder and shut off the Stargate behind him. He's like a little baby for all our supposed power. We're just helpless to save her. I tried, man. That's when Marvel Girl kicks in and she's like, calm down, Professor. Things aren't that bad yet. And blah, blah, blah. So apparently while she was flying back, the professor was mentally telling her about what was going on, about Lilandra, the revolt something that uh, her brother was going to do to destroy the entire universe and that she lost and came here seeking uh, the X-Men's aid. Eric the Red is some sort of agent. So basically really giving her an in-depth dialogue of what was going on rather than trying to stop Eric the Red with his mental powers. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking here like... That is a really good point. But uh, <laughs> the thing that I was thinking is like they ju they basically explained the entire plot in like one panel. And I was I was imagining like a kid in the 70s reading this and just like rereading this panel over and over again trying to understand what the heck <laughs> Chris Claremont's trying to say. Or it was just like wow. <laughs> I had no idea. I have no idea. Well, that's okay, because uh, the Phoenix of Force uh, effect thing or whatever, it reappears, and uh, she fires raw power right into the Stargate, reigniting it. This is the first Phoenix effect that I noticed, so for me, it's the first one. Well, but, but... I missed the other ones. So. <laughs> and uh, Cyclops is like, my God, Jean used to be the weakest X-Man. Wrong. Now she powers up an interstellar transporter without batting an eyelash. I mean, after Iceman left and an angel and beast, <laughs> and there was a time that I left. Then then she was the weakest, but <laughs> but before that, she probably wasn't the weakest. Uh, and then, so this is where there's like kind of a, um, uh, the professor says, or the Cyclops says, Professor the risks, is it really, is our going really that important? And so, like, this is, When did Cyclops become such a pansy? Well, I just want to... Like, I, I really just wanted to like watch some TV tonight. I thought I was going to get a chance to relax. Well, there's a contradiction here because he's like, the professor's like, it is. And that's the X-Men jump in and they're like, okay, laddie, don't worry. Uh, we'll be back. And Gene's like, I'm going to go with them because I think there's trouble. 
And so she jumps in, and that's when Elaine and um, uh, John are like, what have you done to our daughter? And the professor, who just said it's the most important thing you do that you jump into that thing, says, I think I have sent her and the X-Men as well, Mr. Gray, to their deaths. Well, you know, it's important, but he, he, he's being overdramatic. He's just trying to worry her parents as much as possible. He's a dick. <laughs> I hate to butt in. Well, I don't actually have a good Misty Knight voice yet. It can't be Jean's voice. Misty says that she hates to butt in, but very calmly, company is coming. So you're uh, in the, you've seen all of this crazy stuff happen. And then you see this fire guy come flying in towards you. And you're just like, look at her pose. She's like, um, hate to butt in, Professor, but company's coming, and he sure looks angry. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> and Fire Lord says, where is she? Where is Phoenix? I think at this point she's just in shock. Well, that could be. Our battle is far from ending, humans. Tell me where she is. I'll blast you and your dust moat world to atoms. And the Professor cops an attitude here. Blast away, Fire Lord, for Phoenix is where you cannot reach her. You may destroy the Earth today, but if the X-Men fail, tomorrow the universe will die. And then we get a to-be-continued next to the beginning of the end. And I really, like, I really want to know what this conversation between the two of them is. You know what? Fire Lord's ready to destroy the Earth, and the professor's just like, do it. I don't care. I don't care. You can destroy the world because the universe is dead tomorrow. Uh, mine doesn't say to be continued. It just says next, the beginning well, of the end. Mine doesn't say to be continued oh. either, but I, I added that. It was a little embellishment because oh. I know it's to be continued. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. That's the end of X-Men number 105. That's the first outing of the Phoenix's power. It's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good issue. Yeah. When I saw the first panel and I saw it was Fire Lord, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be very exciting. But it was actually kind of good. Things are happening. We're getting into the that space crap that Chris Claremont loves. Space crap. This was definitely something that he wanted to do uh, when he first grabbed the helm of the X-Men. Take him to space. And uh, we're about to go there for the second time. He loves him some space. We got some emails and some other communiques. It's true. We got a letter from uh, Tim Hatton. What does Tim Hatton have to say? He says, hi. Just thought I'd drop a message and say thank you guys for doing the work. He's been with us since the start. Well, the start-ish. And have enjoyed every one. Keep up the good work including the painful foreign accents and terrible pronunciation. No problem. Check. <laughs> By the way, not sure how you do it or if you've done it already, but is, there's, is there a place to check the international reviews on iTunes? Because apparently we have reviews uh, internationally as well as nationally. And that he has left one. A highly disappointing four-star review, I oh. might add. Oh, my gosh. I have to say, you should definitely go back and change your four-star review to a five-star review 
simply because what's the point of a four-star review anyway? It's a one or a five. I mean, let's be honest. It's either awful or it's awesome. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, either give us everything or give us nothing. That's what I say. I'm going to give him credit. At least he didn't uh, take a middle-of-the-road stance and give us a three. That's the worst, where it's like, well, you know, I could go one way, I could go the other way. What could we improve? What do we need to give you to get that fifth star? Apparently we need to improve our painful foreign accents and terrible pronunciation. <laughs> but he likes those. Oh, oh, because that's not happening. Maybe it needs to, we need to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. So uh, we have, I, I, I had no idea that there were international versions of iTunes, let alone international rankings or ratings or whatever. Um, but apparently we have three reviews on the UK site. Does that mean like in the UK we only have three ratings and in the US we have 37? I'm confused. Uh, yes. Really? Right now, well, okay. Right now we have not received enough ratings to display the number of ratings that we have. Oh, in the UK. Oh my God. UK, come on, sound off. So that means that we have less than five, I think. The problem is... The only way that I'm able to view these is by doing an internet search for our uh, iTunes website on the UK. Gotcha. So, uh, the and they'll only show three. So even if we get more than three, we're only going to know these first three. <laughs> if you are in international waters or, <laughs> or land <laughs> and you are reviewing our uh, enjoyable podcast and you give us a five-star or less review uh you're gonna have to actually send it to us if you want us to read it on air well that sucks why would itunes stupid apple well i either that or let us know how we can get to it i i know itunes used to have you used to be able to go to the international sites can't you just go to like Um, itunes.co.uk or something well that's where i am but they only the problem is on on the web if you're not in itunes Oh. It only shows the, the, the top three. Gotcha. All right. Somebody so. somebody send us information on that, or, or or maybe we just need a UK... Um, yeah, help a brother out. We need a UK correspondent who um, who lets us know. Yeah, yeah, that's what we need. Uh, did you did you get a chance to take a look at what those three ratings were? Or was yes, it, what, the, uh, the four-star review that... I don't know. Should we even read a four-star review on the air? I, I don't know. Absolutely not. Move on. What's the five-star one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the five-star review is by Party McNarty. Oh, I like that name. The subject is Mr. Maybe that's like a UK thing for awesome. I'm sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> this was just what I needed. I, I bought the omnibus for the early X-Men comics. After the first issue, I realized it was going to be a chore I now work through it while listening to these guys. It's much more palatable. Thanks, guys. That's, that's awesome. That's cool. I want to do that. <laughs> that's a little self-serving, but I literally want to listen to you and me doing these issues while I have the... It would literally be like the book on tape. Beep. It would be, but funnier. <laughs> I hope so. What was the other one? Oh, uh, we get one by Web Weaver. Uh, the subject is Uncanny. Having recently worked my way through the slow and verbose early X-Men comics, I wish I had discovered this podcast first. <laughs> Makes the comics far more fun. Read along. Wow. It's excellent. Oh, I should have read those in funny UK accidents. <laughs> accidents. <laughs> Accents. Yeah. But I did not. Oh. Uh, so, Tim, 
Tim, uh, Tim Hatton, this, uh, thank you for the letter. And if you want us to read your, your review on air, you're going to have to up it to a five star review. Rules are rules. Management is a real, real jerk about this type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> like we could get fired if we read a four star review. It's just, I, I, it's crazy. I, I don't know. I don't know. We got a letter from Peter Watson on the Facebook who says we talk about fire and brimstone on a recent episode and that brimstone is an archaic word for the element sulfur. As sulfur is the main component in matches, I've always imagined that when Nightcrawler teleports, then the cloud left behind smells the same as that as a match being struck. So there you go. You asked, what does brimstone smell like? It smells like a match. He could have written that. Like Chris Claremont could have been like, and with the smell of a freshly lit match, Nightcrawler has disappeared. And everybody would have been like, I know exactly what that smells like. He suggests that we add a sound effect every time there's a bamf. Probably not going to do that. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work. It's a cool idea. You could get listeners to play along and add a new dimension. I'm not sure how the listeners would play along. Well, they would light but... matches every time we said bamf. But and they'd have to be careful so they don't you know, start their houses on fire. Yes, don't burn your house down. <laughs> not, not on our account. Yeah, I mean, if you do it, don't blame us. He also mentions that a customer at his uh, store in in Glasgow, uh, Forbidden Planet, uh, bought an X-Men Masterworks uh, today, and he told him about our podcast, and he hadn't listened to any podcasts, and he said he was going to go check it out. So that would be kind of cool if he read his Masterworks along to our podcast. And yes, I did overpronounce Glasgow, and that's actually incorrect. As he points out, it is Glasgow. Glasgow. Glasgow? Glasgow. Glasgow. And he mentions that he's getting married on the 15th of June, the same day that, spoilers, Scott Summers and Jean Grey tied the knot, and that they got a sci-fi theme for the wedding. Post photos on our Facebook. That would be cool. Yeah, and uh, are you getting married in goggles, and is your wife getting married in, like, a Marvel Girl suit? Because if you do, wow, that would be awesome. And we would really like to have pictures on the on the website. If not, uh, this this episode here won't air until probably June seventeenth, and uh, you'll be on your honeymoon, but you'll have your iPhone with you to have your podcast, so you can listen to us. So congratulations, and uh, hopefully you have the rest of your lives of happiness with your new wife. Peter Watson also uh, today wrote us on how to pronounce. Edinburgh, which is not the correct pronunciation. It's actually uh, Ed in Edinburgh. Ed in Edinburgh. 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 It's like you can't <laughs> say it without a, a Scottish accent or Edinburgh. Edinburgh. I don't know if I'm ever going to remember that, but thank you for the pronunciation tips. Uh, but we, we don't want to disappoint our buddy... Hatton, who does, uh, owes us a five-star review, so we're going to keep calling it Glasgow and Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. And we got a letter from Aaron Elvaris. Hey, guys, I've become totally addicted to your podcast. Very entertaining and informative. There are a few questions in your early episodes that go unanswered. Uh, he answers the JD question yet again, a juvenile delinquent. And he mentions that Eunice comes back in an, in the Excalibur series that Claremont did. He also points. You should check it out. 
because I know you have the issues because I'm the guy that sold them to you from Craigslist. Oh my gosh, it all comes connected. Aaron sold, uh, if you go back a couple of months on the timeline of the uh, Danger Room podcast, you'll see a big pile of comic books that I, I'm bragging about purchasing. I purchased them from Aaron, and Aaron and I had a delightful little email conversation about the Claremont years and uh, I don't know. I think there was like a little bit of like, you're a fan, so I'm going to cut you a deal on these comic books and, and uh, read these, check these out. And um, yeah. so thank you, Aaron, A, for the deal and B, for checking us out on the podcast. Indeed. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, Tim, for writing us and paying attention. And uh, special props go out to the Mantiques store that I guess you, you get to hold, hold a giant size X-Men number one. Let me give you a quick rundown of my Saturday. It was the most amazing Saturday I have had in a in a long while. First, as I'm coming back from my ritual Saturday morning breakfast, I see a sign for a yard sale and I stop by it, uh, not expecting anything because it's kind of in a it's kind of in a hippie neighborhood, so I would expect, you know, hippie stuff, I guess. Not not anything, you know, geeky and cool but i walk into his yard anyways and immediately i see seven short boxes of comic books and i was like oh all right and i start flipping through them and generally when you see this type of thing at a, at a yard sale it's it's just stuff you're not interested in or it's been so picked through that it's just not even worth your time and i immediately see just a huge glut of x-men comic books and so i'm like how much for these and he's like a dollar a piece but if you buy a bunch of them i'll cut you a deal and I find X-Men uh, 125. I find a whole bunch of other ones in the 150s, 160s. Uh, I, I have uh, I, I found some issues that I have like beat up versions of. Like, for example, my X-Men 201 has a torn cover. He had an X-Men 201, so I snagged that. I had mentioned on this podcast before that I didn't actually own an X-Men 200. I now do. Just lots of wonderful things. And the, he had like uh, X-Men 210, 211, and 212, which is the mutant massacre from the Uncanny X-Men. I already have it, but I was like, I want another set. And I grabbed that into my <laughs> pile. I have an entire run of X-Factor 1 through like 28, except for issue 2. For some reason, I don't have issue 2. Well, now I do because he had it in his pile. All five issues of Kitty Pride versus Wolverine, which we've talked about and I've never read. Now I have it. It's it was just wonderful. And when I brought him the stack, I said how much? He said thirty. I said twenty five, and he said okay. And I walked away with all that for twenty five bucks, and I was very happy with that find because it really, really adds key issues into my collection. Did he know what he was getting rid of? I think so because he's like, man, I've been hauling around, hauling those around since I was 14. And I looked at him and I'm like, yeah, these are going to go right next to the comic books that I've been hauling around since I was 14. <laughs> uh, I mean, I could have been there for a while, but I wanted to save my money for Mantiques because he had the old Dazzler series. He had uh, the old Nightcrawler miniseries, uh, just a bunch of X-related titles. And I know there's probably a big chunk of Wolverine. Uh, prob- I think there was uh, a whole run of New Mutants in there, but like, I could have easily spent all my money right there, but I was like, all right, I just want these, and then I want to go to this Mantiques place, which is where I went to, which is in Janesville, and uh, it's Janesville, Wisconsin. So if any of you are on your way to Madison, Milwaukee, or Chicago, you're kind of in the right area to go there. Just an amazing shop filled with uh, everything you remember from a ki- as you were a kid. 
including a giant-sized X-Men number one. And I don't remember that from as a kid. Well, you, you knew it existed, didn't you? I wasn't even born yet. Most of those kind of like uh, toy shoppy places are kind of filled with, with crud and crap. No, this guy had just nice, choice, clean stuff. And the store wasn't all dingy and crappy and dusty like you would generally expect. It was really nice. And so uh, he had this giant-sized X-Men number one sitting behind the counter. And not only that, he had an X-Men number four, which was in not that great a condition. But still, it's an X-Men number four. And I had drank so much coffee that day that I was a little jittery. And uh, I asked the guy, I was like, hey, I, you know, I do this podcast and I'd really like to hold on to that giant size X-Men number one. And maybe my wife could get a picture. I'd like to post it on the website. And he's like, oh, no problem. No problem. Just mention the site. And I was like, I would be more than happy to. But as he's giving me the comic book, I'm like, I'm so jittery and shaky. I'm going to drop this thing. <laughs> or or like I'm going to bend the spine. Now, the comic book itself wasn't in the greatest condition, uh, but still, it's a giant size. I don't want it. I certainly don't want to add any more damage to it. And he's also like, are you sure you don't want to hold on to X-Men number four, too? You can get both of them. It's the first appearance of uh, Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. I'm like, no, 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 no. One's enough. <laughs> so anyways, I got that picture. You'll see that on Facebook. I was very happy about that. How uh, much was he selling it for? He was selling it for $125. Wow. Did you ask him why it was called Mantiques? Well, it's uh, if you Google Mantiques, it's it's the boys' version of an antique shop. Oh, okay. So it's just like a like 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 man cave or something like that. It's everything you could possibly want for your man cave. So, like, do you remember the space shuttle with the launcher for GI Joe? Um, vaguely, yes. It's like the biggest toy, or certainly the biggest GI Joe toy they ever made. He's got that and the box. No, wasn't the big? Wasn't the uh, the the Air- aircraft carrier bigger? Yeah, the aircraft carrier was the biggest until the space shuttle came out. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyways, yeah, there's just a lot of cool stuff there. So, anyways, if you're in the Midwest area and you want to check out some really cool stuff, go there. I gotta go on eBay and get me one of those aircraft carriers. The aircraft carriers were sweet. Yeah, they're. T- <laughs> You know, saying that now, I'm thinking about, man, if things were huge, it's like, where would I put this thing? Well, I saw a picture of it. I don't remember where I saw a picture of it, but it could hold a Jeep and an airplane and a helicopter and like 12 figures. I mean, it was not small. I remember as a kid, I saw one in like a department store and I just remember it was huge. Yeah, yeah. It it had to have been at least three feet, four feet long. And and it had like a, it had like a radio, so you could be like... Paging the bridge. This is the captain. And it came with General Flag. Did it come with General Flag? It must yep. have. Yeah. Oh, good time. See, that's why you go there. He had Silverhawks and Thundercats, and <laughs> he had Transformers. Uh, we made fun of Gobots, but he did have a little little baggie of Gobots. He had He-Man, uh, Loose, Carded, you name it. Wow. Tons and tons of awesome, awesome stuff. But anyways, let's get back to our own podcast. What do you say, Adam? Let's do it. We have a whole classic portion that we need to do. It's time for Craptacular Classics. Wow, you even made a new name. <laughs> I think we've made a new name every time we do it. <laughs> Maybe that's the goal at this point. <laughs> this is a Classic X-Men number 13 from September 1987. And featured on the cover of this one is Firestorm smacking Marvel Girl, I'm sorry, Phoenix from the back. That's a good drawing. I like it. it yeah, she's in like an uncomfortable sexy girl pose. Um, 
Which is, you know, unnecessary, but you know, it's typical for your comic fair. And you got to be wondering, uh, why is he hitting her from the back? I mean, that's kind of like the sissy way out, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and he draws his... He, Art Adams wanted to draw her from the front. Uh, either... Draw her front. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's the case here. Uh, he also, he draws his feet like uh, Rob Liefeld draws feet. Exactly. Poorly. Exactly. But then you flip into the inside and you get this really nice bust picture of Princess Luandra. Yeah, it's really nice. It's actually, I feel like it's just a sketch too. It's like, I just feel like drawing Luandra and seeing how it comes out. And, and it came out really nice. This would be something that Sideshow Collectibles or some other like uh, modeling company should just make a bust of. Because it's really neat. Yeah. Well, anyways... Um, yeah, not much to add here. We got Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum. I think Dave, oh Bob Layton, he's doing some of the additional art for the. He is the inker of uh, the issue that we just did. He was he inked over Dave Cockrum, and I guess now he's drawing the fill-in pages. He drew, and he also it looks like he drew and inked his own fill-in work. Yeah, interesting. Well. So in case you were wondering, and, and many of you probably rightfully were, like, how did they get from the island to the the uh, school and what happened in between? Um, something that could have probably been covered in a couple of panels. Now we get two full pages. <laughs> this feels like Chris Claremont really didn't know what to do with this one. I don't know. I kind of like the idea. I just wish at the top he puts in he makes four prologues mm -hmm. prologue one prologue two prologue three prologue four and it seems kind of amateurish because all of this stuff is pretty well connected so there's really no reason like it could have just said prologue and just done yeah. this whole thing and then launched into the issue so basically uh the professor i'm sorry the the uh the ramjet as they call it the blackbird which i don't think we've established that's its names in the regular comic uh, is leaving Muir Island, which I also don't think we've established that it's Muir Island yet. Uh, I don't think we've established that it's Muir Island, but I do think we've established that it's a blackbird. Okay, that maybe you're right. Maybe we got that in 94, 95. Anyways, uh, it gets to hypersonic, or it's, it, it, it is a hypersonic ramjet, and it's cruising along the edge of space. Which is pretty intense. That's something else that they don't really talk about until later into the X-Men lore, but we're getting it early. They're mutants. It's kind of an introduction of like, they they left Muir Island, they're mutants, and now they're going home. Wolverine reminds everybody that Cyclops made them run away. It's it's very similar dialogue to the dialogue in the previous issue. And that's when we skip over to, well, Cyclops reminds everybody that the professor's probably in danger. So we skip over to prologue number two, and it's, uh, well, it's Lilandra, and she's sitting at the bridge of her little spacecraft, and she's wondering what that is. It's a contact from a suborbital vehicle. Now, is that contact from the Blackbird, or is this a different vehicle? Its destination appears close to my own. So I can't tell if she's referring to the Blackbird, because it did just reach a uh, cruising at the edge of space. Yeah, I think it is. I think I didn't realize that at first. But yeah, I think you're right. It is the Blackbird. And so that's why I'm saying that it doesn't need to say Prologue 2 there. I mean, that, that just connected it. So it just doesn't need to be there. But 
Anyways, she thinks she has a little interior monologue about her brother and uh, they're chasing each other across the galaxies and I don't know. And suddenly somebody starts shooting photon torpedoes at her. We get some Kirithi Kirithi. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't know what that is. It says Kirithi's claws. Like is that an mm. expression like Lenin's yeah, ghost? Exactly. <laughs> uh another salvo, too close for comfort. I trained Nikazai too. Well, he knows all my tricks. Who's Nikazai? These names are terrible. <laughs> and it's and not only that, it's like um it's uh uh um what what is that thing called? It's like <laughs> what thing? The symbol in front of the N. Oh, the apostrophe? Yeah, it's a pot. I'm really losing it tonight. It's apostrophe. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that make thing contraction. What is that thing called? I'm looking all over the panel like the, the photon torpedo. <laughs> it's apostrophe N apostrophe K-Z-A-I-I. How do you pronounce something that starts with an apostrophe? Kazai. <laughs> okay. And uh, she she wonders if she's come so far just to fail. And Maybe it's like the Bushman clicking, so it's... <laughs> I... That could be. And that's when we get a shot of the professor who's kind of morphing out of Lilandra in space with the well, caption the prologue. Well, the the, the Lilandra prologue is, I don't know, they're, I guess it's, they do this in, through the whole issue, but she when she first starts speaking to the humans... So all of a sudden, it's a different language. Beep, 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 beep. When she's thinking to herself, or even even in the issue where the uh, captain, whoever, is speaking to his crew, that's all in English. Where are the little translated from the the uh, Shi'ar dialect or something? No, oh, or or at least the parentheses that that denote like foreign language translation. Yeah. Yeah, they they are not present here. Well, anyways, yeah, the next panel is the transition of of Lilandra into the professor, but we have to be reminded that this is prologue three, and he's talking about how all of these thoughts have haunted me over the past months. I never dreamed I'll be free of it. Oh my gosh! And he is imagining Lilandra doing some fancy disco dancing. <laughs> she. She's got the like the little lights going on in the background, and she's like, she's snapping her fingers. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, Jean. Professor, Professor Xavier, are you all right, sir? Is it another seizure? Wait, he's having seizures now. I guess. <laughs> okay. I fear so. Now they're blah, blah, blah. So all that they're doing here is that they're just saying that, okay, the professor had another spell, but we, we got we to gotta clean up real quick because uh, Jean's parents are coming and everyone's going to get to meet Misty and that'll be a lot of fun. And so uh, I don't know why, but she needs to bring the professor upstairs. So she uses her telekinetic powers to levitate herself and the professor up the stairs and that's when we transition over to Eric the Red, who is watching them on a portable Vizzy screen, which means that he has a camera planted in Jean Grey's apartment. This Vizzy screen is really large in the first panel and then really small in the second panel. <laughs> yes. But again, it says prologue number four, which again, doesn't need to occur because like, 
I kind of like I kind of half like this and half hate it because it does kind of fill in like it catches us all up. Like these are all the things that I've I've laid out and we're going to deal with in this issue in case you've forgotten. But where it says prologue, it just distracts me because everything is somewhat creatively wound together. So if you have half a brain and you're reading this, you're like, I see how everything's transitioning into one another. Yeah. Well, it doesn't bother me, but but I get it. Yeah. And uh, then we get uh, earlier in the uh, in the real issue it, when it says Phoenix Unleashed and we see the X-Men running in uh, to Eric the Red. On top of it, it, there was like a bunch of dialogue that said, the uncanny X-Men, youngest heroes. Well, now that's all removed and it's a shot of the Blackbird landing at the mansion, which... Well, we also get rid of that dialogue box that said landing at a private airfield. Well, yeah, which A, clears up that confusion and B, he changes that dialogue entirely. Right. Instead of a private airfield, they now find an unwelcome guest awaiting them at their underground hangar, hangar complex, which you actually saw them land at in a new panel added above. Nightcrawler now says instead, as you expected, Cyclops, it is Eric the Red. And now Eric the Red is thinking, that's the spirit Terran fools, implying that he's an alien. Uh huh. Attack with all your fabled might, for by doing so, you seal your doom. I don't know. Like, did is Chris Claremont writing his scripts to purposely fit into his 70s style? Because his late 80s and early 90s does not start sentences with the word for. Oh, you th- oh that's interesting. You know what I'm I saying? Like, is he, is he like, okay, I got to write like 70s, Chris. I can't write like 80s, Chris. Hmm, I don't know. Hmm. I, I, I have not studied him closely enough to... Uh, to be able to tell the difference between 70s Chris and 80s Chris. Well, maybe I'm wrong and I'm just I'm just not remembering the four. No, you're you're probably onto something. <laughs> I mean, you have more of a familiarity with it, of it than I do. So then we go to let's see page uh Seven. 6 well 6 What happens on 6? I'm just trying to get the transition. This is what we glossed over. Remember when we said they fight it takes two pages for them to fight? Well, right. Now it takes three pages because <laughs> they add an additional page in between where the X-Men actually uh, just don't get pummeled. Now they actually Storm does some fighting back. Wolverine does some fighting back and then they get pummeled. Uh, Wolverine says, my claws are forged to pure adamantium. Ain't nothing they can't cut. Do we we know this already? Don't we? We do. Okay, so that's we do. But then, um, then the, in the next panel, well, actually, when Colossus throws him, Wolverine loses his legs. That's interesting. <laughs> um, and then spoilers, spoiler warning. Uh, uh, the second to last panel, he says, "Only Colossus's organic steel body and Wolverine's unbreakable skeleton, laced with adamantium, making it almost as strong as his claws, save both X Men from certain death." Yeah. We don't know that he has an adamantium-laced skeleton at this point. Right. Meanwhile, in the background, Eric the Red is is uh, is goading uh, on Fire Lord uh, subconsciously, saying, Slay them! Slay them all! Remove once and for all Xavier's last line of defense and Lil' Andrew's last hope of salvation! He's got a little fist pumping going on. <laughs> you always have to have a little fist pumping going on. And that's when we cut back to Fire Lord finishing off the X-Men, and then they go into their very long flashback. 
And I believe that that's it for the changes in this issue. Well, there is one more change, but it's sort of irrelevant. But um, instead of saying next, whatever the heck it says, it changes next to where no X-Men has gone before. Do you know why that is, Adam? Because next episode is going to be a little shorter. <laughs> next episode is A, going to be shorter and mostly filled with filler content. <laughs> uh, when they when the X-Men go through the Stargate, does it make a little poot sound in the original? Yes, it does. Poot. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't <Poot>. notice. <laughs> I didn't note that until this now, but that should never be a sound effect used in a comic book, especially so tiny. <laughs> Wolverine's like, oh, Marvel girl, really? Poot. <laughs> Anyhow. Uh, oh, amuses. Yeah, so let's let's go right on to the uh, Chris Claremont, John Bolton story called Life Signs. All right, I, I'm going to have to let you take care, take, take over for this one because, like, I could not get into this story at all. I read all these words, but, man... I was just not interested in this story at all, even though the, the you get you, you open with a really nice spread of Jean Grey, mm-hmm. looking very attractive by the fire, very realistic. Oh, yeah. But past that, I just had no interest in this story whatsoever. I, I could not get into it. Uh, I don't know what's going on here at all. Jean is sitting by the fire. She looks awesome. Uh, then Misty Knight comes out of the ocean she looks she's in the shadows she lays on the ground all sexy like on her back by the way they were both wearing bikinis uh they're wondering where iron fist is apparently iron fist is with colleen i have no idea who colleen was but whatever colleen and misty knight are like some sort of heroes for hire type thing they're partners and they're they hang out in iron fist in iron fist wow in the <laughs> in the Iron Fist comic book. Oh, I see. So it, it kind of implies that they're dating or something, but no, 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 they're not. Uh, oh. Colleen is Misty's best friend, and uh, Iron Fist is Misty's lover. Okay. Well, Misty Knight. Then I don't even know what goes on here. But Jean is sitting at the beach by the fire. Misty's laying on the ground, but then she gets out of her body, kind of like a like a subconscious thing going on and uh, the the beach turns into a giant city and uh, Colleen turns into like this ninja fighter. She's talking about, it's our world, Misty. Someone has to stand up for the helpless. Cut the sharks down to size. And that's, that's some, some foreshadowing. And, and Misty is also one of these, she's a daughter of the dragon or something. Right, that's what they are. They're daughters of the dragon. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> And then uh, blah, blah, blah stuff, and Iron Fist shows up, and then, I don't know, Misty's costume falls apart, and <laughs> Colleen and Iron Fist are yanking Misty as if she was like a big thing of silly putty. And that's when the Phoenix shows up, and she's wondering, where does I fit in, if any place at all? And Misty's like, who are you? And Jean's like, a friend who needs a friend. And that's when Misty in real life calls out, no! <laughs> I don't <laughs> no idea what any of that is. Uh, Jean is sitting there hunched over. She feels like she's a little bit guilty. And she's like, you cried out. 
anything wrong? And uh, Missy's like, no. And they have a little conversation about their relationship. And they do a decent job here of tying in uh, the line about how would you feel if you died and you brought yourself back to life? That happened in the real comic, right? Well, yeah, he, she, they even referenced that particular scene in the hospital. After you yeah. came back from space, you asked me how I'd feel if I had died and then brought myself back to life. Right. That's what happened up there to you. So, but that, that bit of dialogue where Gene says that to Misty, that happened in the real comic, not the backup yes. story. Right. Okay. Yeah. It happened. It happened uh, in the issue after the Phoenix issue or maybe two issues after. 102 or 103. So it ties that together and it kind of ties in like the backup story of 101 where she's like, I can't remember much or she feels like she died. She can't remember much of it. Uh, and truth to tell, I'm not the woman I was. I look, act, feel like I am Jean Grey, but there's always a but. But what? I don't know. What am I? What am I becoming? Why? And that scares me more than you can possibly imagine. What? I'll cry for help. And that's when the story takes a dramatic turn to something which is in need. And Gene flies off to a boat. It's it's Iron Fist's really fast speed boat. And Misty decides that she needs to come along to help, and Jean agrees because she's not invulnerable and she's not um, omniscient, which isn't entirely true, but whatever. So she makes a little telekinetic hand and grabs Misty and pulls her towards the boat, and they they go off. And, and Jean dives into the water to save the person that's in trouble. And she's gone for a while. And Misty's wondering where she is. So she sees a shark. And she assumes that the shark is eating Jean. So she jumps into the water. And she finds the shark. And she punches it in the nose. And says, I was terrified by the fake jaws. But this one's even bigger. But at least I have my bionic arm. Yeah, this is just... Oh, boy. And then you get uh, the only panel on here I like. Which is a ripoff of the Jaws poster. Where the shark is swimming straight up. And... Misty's swimming, although she's not swimming at the right Jaws angle, but it's close enough. <laughs> and the shark rams her in the back, and she's like, oh, I can't pass out. I can't. I, I got to stay awake, otherwise this shark will eat me. But then a dolphin comes and smacks the shark in the side and, and hits him and hits him, and the shark swims away, and Misty climbs back on the boat and says, I would have been dead if it wasn't for that dolphin. And it turns out that the person that, Gene heard crying out for help was actually the dolphin's kid. <laughs> and Misty's you like, mean I scared myself silly. I almost got killed for a family of fish. And Gene's like, hardly fish. They're mammals as intelligent and sophisticated in their own way as we. And Misty is just not happy about this. But that's okay because Jean Grey, she puts Misty in psychic rapport with the dolphin. And now Misty understands <laughs> that they feel. And Jean says, everything has a place, even me. I'm still scared. I know that's just it. You know, everything you touch, my dreams, read my thoughts, bounce from my head from one another. Nobody should have such power, but I'm stuck with it. Maybe that's why I need friends to stand by me. <laughs> I'm Phoenix, Misty, but that doesn't make me any less than human. Where it matters, like the dolphins, all I ask is that you take me as I am. An hour, well, an hour ago, I don't know if I could. 
now I'm sure I can't. You're <laughs> freaking me out. I'm out of here. And Misty jumps into the water, grabs the shark, and swims away never to be seen again. <laughs> That's the end of Misty Night. <laughs> Iron Fist comes out with Colleen's like, anybody seen Misty? <laughs> yeah, and uh, so the dolphins swim away. No, she says, now after all you've shown me, how can I refuse? To which I say, Pishaw, <laughs> you could refuse. Um, It's like three stories in one. Yeah, three terrible stories <laughs> for the price of one. I just don't know, you know, like a lot of this is to set up like background information or establish maybe actions as a, to why a character does something later on. But this does none of that. This just yeah, it's just, this establishes a relationship that is barely featured in either of the main protagonists of this story's comics. Yeah, yeah, I think it's getting more play in these backup stories than it ever got in like the the full continuity issues. Oh well. Yeah. Well. Anyways, <clears throat> um, that's it. That's it. Uh, so, uh, like we said, next week will be a little bit shorter of an episode, so yeah, you can look forward to that. I'll have to read some back issues. Yeah, you'll have to, to fill, fill in the gap. I, I read two this uh, week. Um, I read um, Marvel Team-Up number 130, no, not uh, number 38, which features the return of the Griffin. Oh. And uh, the Griffin wants revenge against the uh the beast and spider-man gets in the way that's pretty much the the summary of that entire issue <laughs> is that a, is that is that marvel tales uh marvel team up marvel team up i think i actually came across that comic book relatively recently and i was like i should buy that and then i didn't it's really not a very good one um <laughs> the griffin now has a tongue and even more super strength he's been mutating and he's gone completely insane, and he kills the guy that created him, or I guess that the what was the name of the group that created him? Oh my god! Uh, the sinister six. Uh, oh, or something. was the it Secret Empire? The Secret Empire was. So he, I guess, the scientist that the Secret Empire employed uh, gets killed in this issue mm. by the Griffin. Well, there you have it. And then I also read Champions Number One, which was pretty entertaining. Um, it features uh, a whole lot of things happening at UCLA. First, we get Angel and Iceman just walking around campus, talking about how they don't really fit in anymore. They can't go back to the X Men because they're they aren't the same X Men anymore. And what about Hank? He's making it with the Avengers, and they're like, "Ah, oh, we couldn't fit in with the Avengers." And then the, all these harpies jump out of a hole in the, the earth or in the, in the air and Iceman ices up and starts doing his typical freezing. And then uh, Angel puts like, jumps behind some bushes and throws on his costume. And this is when uh, Warren says, well, uh, Warren isn't wearing his mask and Iceman's worried about him blowing his cover. And that's when Warren says, uh, well, after my mom died, I decide I decided that I'm not going to hide anymore. So I am now Warren Worthington, the Avenging Angel. So his mom's dead now. Well, 
that happened off comic. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I think that was addressed in uh, the the Hidden Years. Oh, was it? Well, yeah. Yeah. His mother is either killed or is being slowly poisoned by a lawyer guy or a doctor oh, yeah, guy. You, you did bring that up. Yeah. I don't remember if she fully died in that because it was such an unmemorable series. But is it possible that her, his mother died off comic? That's what it seems like. Wow. Crazy. So, and and in such like a, just barely mentioned in like Champions, I wonder if this is a popular comic or not. But uh, meanwhile, Black Widow, Venus, Ghost Rider, um, Hercules are all have various reasons for being at UCLA. And uh, by the end of the issue, they all kind of gather together and are fighting all of these um, monsters from Greek mythology. Hmm. And then it, some bad guys show up and say, Hercules, you have to marry Hippolyta or Hippo, Hippolyta, or I don't know how to pronounce that. And uh, Venus, you have to marry uh, Ares, the war god. Ooh, I didn't realize Ares was a, a, a Marvel character until like recently. Huh. Uh, and that's where it ends. That's... If you don't marry these people, the universe dies. Wow. Those are high stakes. Yeah. Uh, it sounds entertaining. It was pretty entertaining, actually. It was it was a it was a it was a quick read, whereas Marvel Team Up Thirty Eight was a pretty slow read. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Anything else that you want to add to that? No, I'm I'm good. Take us out. All right then. Until next week, folks. The danger room is closed.